0: Welcome to Torah Mecha Parsha with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Orly Kanner, and it is my privilege to be learning Sefer Shemot with you. Our Parsha this week is Parsha Vaera, and I would like to begin with a quick overview of the Parsha. In Perakvav Chapter 6, God responds to Moshe's charge that the Jewish people have not been saved despite his intervention. And in fact, circumstances have worsened for the Jewish people. God appears to Moshe with the well-known proclamation of the imminent four stages of ge'ula, of redemption, that are about to unfold. V'hotzeti, v'hitzalti, v'ga'alti, and v'lakachti. The Torah then delineates the descendants of the first three sons of Yaakov, homing in on the famous descendants of Levi, Miriam, Aharon, and Moshe. In chapter seven, we are introduced to the 10 plagues beginning with the first, that of Dam. This plague of blood is described in great detail. The warning to Paro, the vivid description of the plague and Paro's unperturbed and dismissive reaction. In chapter eight, the Torah proceeds to describe the plagues of frogs, Tzvardea, and lice, Kinim, where the advisors and magicians of Mitzrayim, the Khartumim, who could not replicate the lice, finally recognize this plague as the finger of God, Etzba Elohim. The chapter also goes on to describe the fourth plague of Arov, where wild animals ran through the land of Egypt, never crossing into the borders of Goshen, where the Jewish people resided. Chapter nine tells of the fifth plague of Dever pestilence, which killed the Egyptian cattle, but did not affect those belonging to Jews. The sixth plague, that of Barad of Hail, and its concomitant destruction of crops, is described in detail. After this plague, as foretold, God steps in to assist Paro in his determination to harden his heart, as Paro again refuses to cede to Moshe's demand to allow the Jewish people to leave Mitzrayim. In last week's Parsha, Moshe vigorously resisted his designated role as leader of Israel. According to our rabbis, for seven days he argued against the viability of God's plan for redemption. Amongst his primary arguments was his claim that he is not a man of words, Loish Dvarim Anochi, as he further contends I am a Kvad Pe Uchvad Lashon, of heavy mouth and heavy tongue. God acknowledged and responded to Moshe's self-proclaimed infirmity with assurances that he will be with him and that Aharon will be Moshe's spokesman. But in our parsha again, Moshe renews his contention that he is unfit for this leadership as he is an arel sfatayim, he has uncircumcised lips. He further raises the kalvachomer, that if B'nai Yisrael, the Jewish people, refused to hear his words, how will Paro ever listen to him? Is this a mere repetition, a redoubling of Moshe's efforts to forfeit a role which he adamantly insists is not for him? And what is in fact Moshe's self-proclaimed speech defect that warrants him unfit to relay God's message to the people and to Paro? Perhaps most unsettling is the question of how can the man in whose hands God will deliver his Torah, the man upon whose words we base and live our lives, be a person whose tongue and speech are faulty? According to many of our classic commentaries, Rashi, Ramban, and Ibn Ezra, Moshe's speech defect was an organic speech infirmity. Either he stuttered, perhaps had a lisp, or simply could not pronounce certain letters. Perhaps this was due to an unfortunate incident brought down in the Midrash, where as a child, Moshe was tested by the paranoid Paro to see if Moshe's pulling the crown off of the head of Paro was a mindless, puerile act of a baby, or whether this baby was signaling a deep-seated desire to usurp his power. So when presented with a platter of burning coals and a dull bar of gold, which would he reach for? The fiery coals or the dulled gold? When the intelligent Moshe began to reach for the gold bar, the angel pushed his hand to reach for the fiery coal, which the baby Moshe put in his mouth, scorching his tongue and leaving him with a permanent speech impediment. The possibility that the man who spoke to God face to face The man in whose words God entrusted his Torah could be a stutterer or mispronounce letters leaves many of our commentaries understandably disturbed and uncomfortable. They propose a second alternative approach. They suggest that Moshe's speech difficulty was not organic, not a physical defect, but rather an extraneous deficiency, one that could therefore be more easily remedied. The Rashbam maintains that Moshe was protesting that he was no longer fluent in the Egyptian language, as he had fled from Egypt anywhere from 40 to 60 years prior. Others, such as the Shadal, suggest that Moshe was expressing his lack of having a silver tongue. He was often tongue-tied and certainly not schooled in the art of diplomacy. His reluctance to speak to Paro was rooted in his not being a politician, nor having the skills of negotiation and oration. But there is a third, far more profound approach that I would like to share with you. The Midrash tells us that there was a secret of ge'ulah, which we referenced last week. a Sodha geulah a secret password that was passed down from Avraham to Yitzchak, to Yaakov, to Yosef. And Yosef, before his death, shared that Sod hagulah with his brothers. One brother, Asher, confided this secret code in his daughter, Serach. The Sod hagulah were the words, pakod pakad, or pakod yifkod elokim etchem, that God will remember you empower you, and designate you, the Jewish people, with a mission, with a tafkid. The Midrash continues, that when Moshe and Aaron came to the Jewish people and told them that God had appeared to them and that he is going to be redeeming them from Egypt, they were uncertain if these two men, one who was a stranger to them, were in fact true prophets. So representatives of the Jewish people went to visit their sagacious great-great-aunt, Serach, to seek her guidance. They told her about this Moshe and Aaron and their claim that God had spoken to them and that the time of the redemption was imminent. They then proceeded to describe the incredible otot, the miracles that Moshe performed, as evidence that he is the messenger of God. Serach listens carefully. And she summarily dismisses their evidence. Miracles are worthless, vacuous, meaningless, she tells them. They then continue to tell her what Moshe and Aharon said. They quoted God's words of "Pakud, Pakad, Elokim etchem," and upon hearing these words, Serach's face brightens and she screams, "Yes, yes! That's what I remember my father telling me. Kach Shamati Ma'aba, Pe Pe. Hu Haish, That's the man. You can trust him, as he's the man that has been sent to redeem the Jewish people from Egypt. Yes, the time for redemption is indeed upon us." And due to her words of encouragement and assurity, the people believed Moshe and Aharon. What does the Midrash mean to tell us by Serach's memory of the alliterative pe pe, while seemingly having forgotten the actual words pakod pakad? Is this merely a telling of the story of an aged woman? with a fading memory? The Zohar tells us that when Moshe came, he brought with him voice, Asa Moshe, Asa Kol. But the voice, says the Zohar, had no words. Only at Har Sinai did the voice beget words. In elucidating this enigmatic Zohar, Rav Salavechik magnificently explains that before Moshe had joined the Jewish people they had fallen into a state of utter hopelessness, resignation, utterly surrendered any belief where they no longer were capable of voicing their pain. In fact, they were so inured to pain, so numb that they could not feel, nor did they even dream or hope for better. They accepted the beatings and persecution as the norm. They had no tears left to shed. They were incapable of reacting, responding, objecting, or of in any way protesting the daily horrors and injustices that were cast upon them. Therapists who work with abused babies and children know that when an abused baby is first evaluated, as long as the baby still cries when in pain or hungry, the baby will most probably be okay. But the babies that no longer react to discomfort, pain, or hunger are those babies that have reached a point of no return, of never recuperating from their abuse. Such was the state of the Jewish people after 210 years of suffering through the Egyptian Holocaust. When Moshe enters the scene and sees the Egyptian mercilessly beating the Jew, he is indignant, overwhelmed by the injustice of what he is witnessing, but bewildered by the lack of reaction from any other person around vayar ki Vayarkiish, he turns around and looks, but there is nobody responding. He alone responds by killing the Egyptian this seemingly insignificant act, this show of a response to suffering served as a catalyst to awaken the Jewish people to the realization that the abuse that they had been enduring was unacceptable, that they had to scream that such injustice and abuse and victimization requires a reaction. And only after Moshe's actions, only after his response does the Torah report that the Jewish people began to scream and cry to God. <speaking in Hebrew> Moshe reintroduced voice to a hopeless, muted people. But even Moshe had no words. ashon <speaking in> anochi. <Hebrew> He had no words because he had no understanding of the point of redemption. Who are these people that you, God, are about to miraculously redeem? Why are they worthy of redemption? And to what end are you redeeming them? What makes them special? What's the point of their freedom? What's their mission? What's the goal? Every movement needs a slogan, a cause. What should be the words on the placards? Let my people go? Why? though god foretold moshe at the burning bush in god's first revelation to him of the end game of the point of it all he told him that the jewish people would one day become the trustees of god's torah at har sinai but it was not until standing in har sinai on top of har sinai receiving that torah and giving it to the jewish people Only then did the cause, the destiny, the point of redemption, the logos, become clear to Moshe, thus allowing for the flow of words. The purpose of redemption was Torah, a people bound to each other and to God with a new morality, a new vision of the world, a people that would embody the values that would serve as a light unto the nations of the world, that would inspire the world to monotheism, to morality, to truth. And this, perhaps, is what serach meant. The letter pe means mouth, oral articulation. It is not the only letter she remembered from the secret code of redemption. She was emphasizing that the secret embedded in the words pakhod pakad, the secret of ge'ula, is the pe. only when one understands and can clearly articulate the purpose express the Yeyud their destiny, can Ge'ula follow? The exodus from Egypt was only the first stage, a means leading to the ultimate redemption of the receiving of the Torah. And with this, Moshe's words flowed and filled the next 40 years of his life. As Brit Milah remedies the state of an uncircumcised individual's body, so too mila words remedy Moshe's state of arel sfatayim, of uncircumcised lips. That mila is his understanding of the tafkid, the yehud, the mission of the Jewish people, that once he clearly understood, could then be articulated. That is the secret of ge'ulah. We need to know ourselves, be able to articulate ourselves the role of our people our unique destiny, our singular tough key to our mission in this world, and only then can we hope to effectively inspire others around us, transmit that to our families, and most importantly, our children. Thank you for studying with the OU Women's Initiative. I look forward to learning with you again next week.